Welcome to the Legal Download Podcast, a rundown of the latest issues impacting your business from Kelly Dry. Hello, welcome to Kelly Dry's Legal Download Podcast. I am Aaron Rosenfeld, a partner in Kelly Dry's real estate practice. And I'm here today with my colleague, Emily Sickles, who's also in our real estate group. Today, we're going to discuss leasing in the age of COVID-19. As coronavirus continues to wreak havoc on the commercial real estate industry, landlords are facing unprecedented challenges as they strive to mitigate new risks while maintaining the rapport they have built in their professional communities and with their tenants. As such, it is important for all parties to a lease transaction to determine whether their rights and obligations are impacted by COVID-19 and future similar events and address the relevant lease provisions. Today, we are going to discuss a handful of common lease provisions that commercial landlords should consider when they enter their next lease or lease amendment. Let's begin. So Emily, there's been a lot of discussion lately as to whether or not the COVID-19 pandemic can be considered a force majeure event and thereby excuse the parties to a lease from timely performing their respective obligations. Is coronavirus a force majeure event? So force majeure is actually a contractual remedy, and therefore the language of the lease will determine whether or not COVID-19 is considered a force majeure event. Typically, pandemics and public health crises are not included in the laundry list of events. Tenants, however, are currently pushing landlords to include pandemic language in force majeure clauses because, understandably, they want to use COVID-19 as the basis for excusing timely performance of their obligations, most notably their monetary obligations. For that reason, we are seeing a general pushback from landlords on tweaking their standard or existing force majeure clauses. Going forward, it may be prudent for landlords to expressly address whether or not pandemics are considered a force majeure event in order to avoid any ambiguity to that end. If a landlord desires to account for the coronavirus or any future pandemics as such, then the landlord should expressly name public health emergencies, pandemics, and epidemics among the list of accepted force majeure events. Thank you. So next question, what are we seeing in the market when it comes to casualty provisions in a lease? Is COVID-19 generally seen as a type of casualty? So with respect to casualty provisions, we are seeing, at least on an academic level, a consensus that public health emergencies are outside the intended scope of the most common casualty provisions. In other words, casualties are intended to refer to physical damage only. However, going forward, it is prudent for landlords to expressly exclude public health emergencies and other government-imposed stay-at-home orders that are unrelated to the physical condition of the premises from the definition of casualty. That way, there can be no debate on that subject later on. That's great. Um, And I totally agree with that. On to the next question. Many tenants are looking for rent abatement to offset the economic strain that they're experiencing as a result of the coronavirus. Are landlords generally abating rent for tenants that are severely impacted by the coronavirus? We are not seeing a market trend with respect to abatement due to COVID-19, but we are hearing a lot of discussion regarding deferring rent for at least several months. Landlords are not pushing back too much on granting deferrals because A, the tenant is contractually obligated to make up the payment down the road in accordance with the payment plan. B, many jurisdictions are actually requiring commercial landlords to propose rent deferment plans. And C, the lease term is often extended for the benefit of the landlord. If a landlord is crafting a rent deferral plan with a tenant, then those terms should be memorialized in a lease amendment with a detailed repayment plan laid out. Of course, if a landlord and tenant have agreed to some form of rent abatement as a result of COVID-19, then that should be memorialized as well. 
On the flip side, um, as jurisdictions continue to progress through the phases of reopening, landlords are quickly trying to implement new restrictions and policies regarding building entry and interior traffic flow, as well as to gauge the risk for any future interruption of services that may result from setbacks in reopening due to a resurgence of the coronavirus. What kind of pushback can landlords expect from tenants in these areas? The good news, Erin, is that for landlords, we are not seeing, nor will we expect to see, any more tenant pushback than usual because a landlord's right to implement rules and regulations regarding building access, cleaning protocols, elevator usage, etc., as well as a landlord's right to modify or interrupt building services are not entirely new concepts. Unless you are working with a purely net lease, these provisions are likely already in the landlord's form lease, and tenants will be accustomed to seeing them. With respect to service interruptions, an updated provision might expressly provide that the landlord has the right to suspend or modify a service without liability if the landlord determines such suspension or modification to be necessary, or if it is required by applicable laws. And with respect to landlord's rights, an updated provision might list out some of the new measures that a landlord intends and has an express right to implement, such as reducing elevator capacity, delineating passages of building ingress and egress, and making physical changes to the building. Where we would expect parties to quibble is over who bears the most risk with respect to interrupted services and who pays for the landlord services at the end of the day. And that is an operating expense discussion. Thank you. To that end, I have one more question for you. If a landlord typically requires its tenants to continually operate at the premises, how can they modify the operation provision in their form lease so as to stay relevant in the context of government-mandated shutdowns. Landlords can make a simple tweak to their standard language by introducing a caveat that excuses continual operation if such would run afoul of applicable laws. For example, the continuous operation clause may go something like this. During the term of this lease, tenants shall continuously and actively operate the permitted use in the premises, except to the extent prohibited by applicable laws or precluded by a force majeure event. Also, practically speaking, Aaron, if a local jurisdiction orders the shutdown of a particular business type, for example, retail in New York, then a landlord would be unsuccessful in trying to enforce a continuous operation clause during such government order shutdown. Thank you, Emily. We hope that these insights will be helpful to our listeners. Of course, this commentary and sample provisions are intended to serve as guidelines only and may be impacted by applicable state law, mandates, and ordinances as well as the specific language and economic provisions in the lease. We welcome our listeners to contact Emily or me with specific questions. Our contact information can be found at kellydry.com. Again, my name is Aaron Rosenfeld. And I'm Emily Fickle. Thank you for listening. For additional information on this and other topics, please visit kellydry.com. Kelly Dry has podcasts available through your podcast provider.